From the School of Broadcast and Cinematic Arts at Central Michigan University, welcome to Depth of Field, a podcast highlighting the careers, experiences, and accomplishments of our broadcast and cinematic arts graduates. I'm your host, Patty Williamson. Join me as I chat with media pros who reflect on their time at CMU, their lives and careers after graduation. Along the way, they'll share advice they have for anyone looking to work in a wide variety of media fields. And that's why we call it Depth of Field. Joining me today is Rebecca Sir. She is a 2001 and 2004 BCA grad. She did both her undergrad and her master's degree with the School of Broadcast and Cinematic Arts. And right now, she's working as a marketing specialist for the city of Bay City, Michigan, after several years working as an anchor and reporter in TV news. So, Rebecca, thanks so much for joining me. You're welcome. I'm so glad I could be here and hear a little bit about what you're up to and, of course, share what what I've done of my BCA degrees. Yeah, it's been really great to catch up with everyone who's been out for a while. And we've had a chance to see each other a little bit because you are one of the members of the Alumni Advisory Board for Broadcast and Cinematic Arts. Yes, I've been on that for several, I don't even know how many years now, but it's it's a great way to stay connected with the university and our and our department, or I should say our school, because it used to be a department, I believe, and now we're a school. Uh, but it's just a great way to see what's happening, um, some of the trends that the students are learning about and, and working with and kind of see where the industry is going because it has changed quite a bit, as you know, in at least the last decade. And it's something that I haven't really talked much about on the podcast so far, but that is a way for grads to continue to be involved and to help, like you said, update us on what's happening in the industry. So I definitely encourage anyone who's interested to get in touch and become part of the board if you're interested in that. Yeah, we are always, always looking for grads that we can connect with, that we can also connect students with, because let's face it, a lot of us got our first jobs and maybe even second jobs um, based on networking, and you just never know where you're going to make that connection, and and we hope as a board to be able to kind of bridge the gap there and, and help students find that first job, second job, what have you. So speaking of that, going back to your days as an undergrad in BCA, what was it that brought you to CMU? It was the program. When I was, and I'm going to rewind even farther, when I was in fifth grade, it was before fifth grade, in fourth grade, I was chosen for a program, and it was a, every two years, there was a new teacher, and she picked which schools were to have students, and she picked the, the study area, and she happened to pick broadcasting. So in fourth grade, I was chosen for a program that I did in fifth grade, where I think it was every week, or every two weeks, I went into Midland Community Television and went to their studios and I learned about broadcasting in fifth grade. So I had never been introduced to that before. I like to talk, but I, I didn't know there was a career in talking, so to speak. And that's when I learned the basics of, of video production. And from that very moment forward, I never considered another career path, not nothing. <laughs> and so when it was time to decide where I was going to go to school, I literally applied to one university and it was CMU. And that's where I went. That's, that's just how it was since fifth grade. And what did you find once you got here? What were some of your perhaps favorite memories about the program? Well, obviously New Central. Um, New Central 34 was a humongous part of my college experience, not just from the academic standpoint, but from my my social standpoint, a, a lot of the people that are my friends to this day are, are people that I met 
in BCA and I've stayed in contact with, because you just never know, again, that networking thing, where, where you're going to see those people at again. Um, I can recount several times over the last years going on vacation and turning on TV and there's one of my college friends you know, that I'm watching. Um, so obviously New Central 34 was a, a huge part of my life. Um, and then, then uh, Professor Rick Sykes was the, the advisor. I can't remember his exact title was, but um, he was a huge part of my BCA and CMU experience. He was more than just a teacher. He was a friend. He was, he was a mentor. And those are the type of people that we have in BCA or people that really can change your life. Did you see yourself going into TV news from the time that you came to college or were there other areas of media that you wanted to explore? That was my career path since fifth grade. <laughs> there was a, I ended up working for ABC 12, but in fifth grade, sixth grade, I can't remember which grade it was. I was on uh, a TV five news program. Uh, my group of students had done this community affairs program called Dirty Socks. And we ended up winning a, a pretty, pretty big award and we were going to Washington DC to accept it. So Dick Fabian with TV5 came in and did a story on us. And I can't remember what the question was, but I, he asked if what I wanted to be. And I said, I wanted to be a TV news anchor lady. And he said, so should we tell the girls at TV5 to look out? And I said, yeah, with my spiral perm. Oh, it's so sweet. But that, <laughs> that's all I ever wanted to do. And that's, that's what I did for many, many years until a couple of years ago. How did you make that transition from BCA and being at the university to moving out and getting that first job? Oh gosh, it <laughs> was a long time ago. And that was, that, was, that was a tough transition. I grew up in a really small town, uh, the town of Hope, Michigan. It's next to Sanford and Edenville. Many people know of the, the dam break on Wixom Lake and, and Sanford Lake. That's, that's where I grew up at. So for me, going to Mount Pleasant was like moving to a big city. So that was, that was culture shock to me. I grew up where you're most likely to get stuck by a tractor driving down the road, you know, not an actual legitimate traffic jam. So to me, Mount Pleasant was, was a big city. So when it came time to graduate with my undergrad degree, I realized I was not ready to be a grown up. I was, I was younger. I was 21 when I graduated and I decided to get my master's, pro, my master's degree. And that gave me a couple more years to grow up. Well, then when it came time, like it's time, like you have to leave the nest now, I started applying and I know many students now probably don't know what a resume tape is, but we literally had VHS tapes and we sent them out. And my first job offer was in Minnesota and I had to pack up everything I owned to drive 13 hours to Bemidji, Minnesota in my S10 blazer all by myself. And that's scary. I was a mama's girl. Like I, I didn't go anywhere without my mom. I made it there. But when I walked in the door, I would say within like two days, I was on the air because I was so prepared. Like the, the, the living situation, the social situation, moving away from your family, that was tough. But walking into a functioning newsroom was not difficult. It wasn't any different than the news central aside from the fact that like what I did had a much larger audience. We had the same equipment um, at the time. Again, this was, you know, a long time ago, 20 years ago, we used Final Cut Pro and we used that at, at New Central 34. And when I had my first job, that's the exact same program. So there was little downtime of learning, a learning curve when it came to like equipment and knowing what to do. Obviously, you have to learn your job in the area. What was it like being in Minnesota, working at a real quote unquote TV station? <laughs> what was that like? And what were some of your best experiences? Oh, gosh, it was. Again, a lot of it was 
you know, the outside of work thing. Like I wasn't ready to move away from my mom, but it was, it was definitely different because in college you're trying to get a good grade and you're trying to prepare yourself to get your first job. And here you are in your first job and the expectations are different. It's not just getting a good grade, it's doing a, a good job for the community. I mean, there's a lot of responsibility there and that, you know, you're learning, but yeah, it matters now. Like it truly matters. So that was, that was interesting. And I met so many cool people there as a reporter over the 20 or so years that I was in a professional newsroom, met a lot of really cool people and did a lot of really cool things, things good, bad, and ugly. Um, but one of the most random things out in Minnesota was we had uh, Judy Garland was born in, I think it's Grand Rapids, Minnesota. And there was a museum there. I hope I'm getting the right city, but I think it's Grand Rapids, Minnesota. And I got to see some of the real ruby red slippers from the movies. And I got to meet some of the original munchkins before they passed away. I think they were in their 90s at that, at that point. But it's stuff like that that you get to do that the average person doesn't do. And you know, there's, you know, meeting vice presidents and other dignitaries and going to events and stuff, but it's those little things that like are conversation starters that are really cool to have happened early in my career and throughout my career. And how long were you there before you came back to work in Michigan? Uh, 15 very long, cold months. <laughs> and how did you find your way back to pretty close to your hometown? Yeah, I mean, based, I covered my hometown. There are several times that I did stories on my hometown, which was a really cool thing to do. I interviewed people I went to high school with. Uh, what happened was before I left, when I, when I was getting my master's degree, there was a job fair at CMU. And I remember meeting Jane Hodak. She is now the news director of TV5, but at the time she was the assistant news director of ABC 12. So I had been out there for over a year at that point. My now husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, had moved out there. We wanted to go home. We just, you know, we neither one of us wanted to be away from our family. So I had that, I saved Jane's business card and I emailed her and I said, hey, I, I don't know if you remember, I met you at this event, yada, yada, yada. I want to come home at that time making a jump from the station I was at in Minnesota to um, ABC 12, which was I think in the 60s, 60 market, something like 65, 60, I don't remember exactly what it was. It was not really a second job. And my skill level was not such that I was going to be on air when I walked in the door there. So I took a producing job. And, but anyway, so I talked to Jane, I interviewed, I actually did the interview in the edit bay at my old TV station. And her and Jim Blaker, one of the world's most amazing television news directors, <laughs> um, they hired me and I moved home and I worked as a producer and consistently kept working on my reporting skills and eventually got my chance. And then I produced, I think on the weekends and reported during the week or vice versa, I can't remember what. And eventually we moved my way to full-time reporter and eventually a weekend anchor. So it was, it was a process, but um, it was worth it. For folks who aren't terribly familiar with how a newsroom operates, what exactly does a producer do? A producer kind of just determines how the show is going to go. They're, they're there to help you. you know, think or swim for them. They're the ones that decide what elements are going to go where, um, who's going to do them, uh, how things are going to be executed. They, they create a, a map or a game plan for the entire show and are the ones that are deciding, you know, ahead of time and during like what's going to happen, especially if there's something that breaks, because we all know it's, you know, technology, things break, uh, microphones break, you lose signals, what have you. There's always something you have, and you have to have a backup plan. So it's a, you're in constant motion. Do you think that made you a better reporter and anchor down the road? 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, so in my, in my first TV station, I did do some producing because when you fill in as an anchor, you produce the show as well. So as a producer, you learn all these little things that perhaps someone who has never produced doesn't have in the back of their mind. So as a reporter, when I was out in the field and this, this, and this was going on, and I recognized like this is a train wreck waiting to happen, I was prepared and communicating that with our producer to say, hey, this is going on, you know, here, here are some things for you guys to think about. And it was a great way. I, I personally believe everyone in a newsroom needs to try somebody else's job, whether it's an assignment editor, a producer, editor, what have you, spend a day in someone else's shoes and see what they go through. It's easy to say, oh, I can't believe the producer did that, or I can't believe the reporter did that. You don't know until you've done it. And so having a better understanding of what everyone goes through and the thought processes involved, I think is essentially important, especially perhaps in college. <laughs> Learn all those things. The more you learn, the more knowledge you have. During your career as a reporter, did you do more general reporting or were you on specific beats that you were covering? No, I was a general assignment reporter and <laughs> I, I, could, I could do any story. I, I prefer to do like puppies and kittens stories. I was more of the happy person. Obviously, I, I did crime stories. I, I did breaking news. I, I did everything. But I like to do the softer things and the things that I'm, that's just how how I am. I'm a people pleaser <laughs> at my core and I don't like to make people upset. So uh, there were a lot of stories I did that like broke my heart or just things I didn't want to do, but you did them because that's your job. And that's, you know, what journalists do is they tell the truth and they find the story. And so, but yeah, I preferred pup puppies and kittens. <laughs> were there any stories that you sort of carried with you beyond the time when you were covering them? Oh yeah. And that's going to make me cry. <laughs> so there are as a reporter, you know, I sometimes I feel like I was a little cold hearted because, you know, you've you've seen this murder, you've seen that murder, you've seen this, you've seen you literally see everything. You see some horrible, horrible things. But you know, you move on and you do the story the next day and it sounds it sounds very stiff and cold. That's just kind of how it was. If you if you worried about every story after you went home at night, like you'd be a mess. Like that's just how it is. So, but there was one family who lost their son, um, Joe Johnson, and one of our wars. And when I met his mom and dad, there was just something about her, Terry Johnson. She was just one of these people. And you felt every time you talked to her, you felt like you missed out by not knowing Joe. Now, I, my path would have never crossed Joe's um, if he had lived. I would have never met Terry. I would have never met Dennis. And I would have never you know, met Joe. But you always felt like you missed out. And I just... We remain friends. Um, on weekend mornings, I get little text messages from her like, oh, you look so pretty today or whatever. She's just one of those people. And actually last year she passed away from COVID. And it was just, she's one of those people that you'll never forget. And I, there's a lot of people I did forget. There are people that would stop me at a gas station and be like, oh, you interviewed me back in yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, okay. Um, but then there are people like Terry that like never, never leave you. Did that make the job difficult for you to have to deal with some of those hard news stories, the crime stories, the tragedy, when you weren't doing the the puppies and kittens stories yeah. that you really, at your core, really yeah. kind of spoke to you. Did that make it difficult to move on with the career? Yes and no. I mean, there were, it was just part of the job. And I understood, I've always been a very realistic person that understands like things just happen. 
And I guess at the time it didn't bother me, but now two years out of TV news, when I see things, I'm like, how did I deal with that all these years? Like, there's a lot of things that like I saw that the average person does not see. So now I, I feel like it's a little less normal than I thought it was, but at the time it really didn't bother me unless it was somebody I knew or I was connected. And I will tell you after I became a mom, after my son just turned six years old, after I became a mom, other things started to really hit me that didn't hit me before. Uh, anything with babies, kids, I'm like, how, like, so one of the girls I went, sorry, this is a tangent. One of the girls I worked with started the Flint diaper bank. And I remember when Angie started it or when she was part of the start of it. And I remember hearing about how there were babies that didn't have diapers or their parents would leave them in diapers for the entire day because they simply did not have any more diapers. And it's, you know, it's not the baby's fault that the parents are in these, these circumstances and it may not even be the parent's fault, but I was like, okay, that's sad. Well, then I had a baby and I could change his diaper whenever I wanted to. Like he peed in it. Great. Change his diaper. Oh, he went number two. Great. Change his diaper. And I remember down in his, in his room on his changing table, I remember thinking, my gosh, like this is a luxury. Some people don't have, some people aren't able to freely throw their kid's diaper away a minute after they just put it on it for a new one. And from that moment forward, like I like went and I donated money because like things just hit you different when you become a parent, that same story a year before that I've been like, Oh, that's sad. And now I was, was sobbing. So yeah, emotional. If you can't tell. Did having a baby change your outlook on your career at all? Uh, yes, not, not at the beginning. So at the beginning, I was able to make it work. And there are a lot of people that are able to make it work. But I had a job where the basic out time was 6 p.m. And that if you were in the six o'clock show, then, you know, you might not get out of there till 6.30, maybe 7, maybe 7.30, maybe 8. And when my husband also has a job that there's no set out time. Like he doesn't work nine to five. He works until six or later, maybe eight o'clock, who knows? Um, so we both had jobs that didn't allow us that flexibility to care for our child. And we're, we are very lucky. Um, my in-laws took care of Maxwell and I didn't have to worry about childcare because they'd watch until midnight. They didn't care. But as he got into school, like preschool and stuff, you have to pick up your kid by six o'clock. Like there aren't a lot of daycares that are open past six o'clock. So I started to realize that like something was going to have to change. And there came a time in my career when I was basically told I was going to be gone until nine o'clock at night and I, I couldn't do it. And so that was, that was a turning point in my career where it was family or career and it was family. So now you're working with the city of Bay City. Yes. And how has that sort of changed your daily routine? <laughs> um, well, it's night and day. And I didn't know this existed. So I work a fairly normal, like eight to four, seven thirty to three thirty, whatever schedule. I, I kind of have a different position. I work my eight hours, and I go home, and I still do stuff at home. I still bring my laptop home. Um, if something needs to be posted on social media, I'm the one to do it. I will answer questions all weekend long. And maybe for someone who didn't spend their entire adult life doing that, might be like, I'm not going to do that. But to me, it's like less work. <laughs> it's normal for me to answer people on the weekend. I don't wait until Monday at 8am to reply. I just, I, it's still that 24 hour news cycle to me. It's just a whole different way, but I have normal or normal hours. Um, if my child has a, a field trip, I can go. Um, I have sick days and vacation days because the four of my sick and vacation were the same thing. So if you were sick, you know, and it's not that way at every TV station, but that's just how my life was, but it's, it's kind of 
you know, 20 years later, but I kind of have like a normal schedule and it's kind of weird. Oh, and I get holidays off. That's a whole novel idea to me. Not having to beg for Christmas off. Yeah, maybe we should talk a little bit about yeah. that. In the media industry, you often are working holidays and weekends mm -hmm. and nights and early mornings. How much did that impact your life and the work that you were doing in television? Uh, I, it did have a big impact on my personal life. So for most of my career, I worked weekends. So I was at ABC 12 for 14 and a half years and I was at Stellar Station and then some other places too. I would say, well, over half of my professional career I was on weekends because you're always trying to move up. Um, you're trying to move up in market size. You're trying to move up in positions at the station. And I was willing to work weekends before I had my son because I thought it was going to get me where I wanted to go. So you put in the work and hopefully you get the reward. You don't always, but that was kind of the idea. So when I, when I was working weekends, it, it was fine for a little bit, but after a while, people stop inviting you to birthday parties. People stop inviting you to get together it's because they know that you can't make it. So that, that was kind of tough. But, you know, there's a, there's a way to find a balance and to do things on other days and what have you. You just have to really work at it. But at the time, I, I thought it was worth it because I wanted to get to that higher level. But um, there's a lot of holidays I missed, a lot of working holidays, a lot of pizza in the newsroom <laughs> on holidays or, you know, potlucks or whatever. But I, didn't, I, I did absolutely love the people I worked with, so it wasn't, wasn't the worst thing. What were some of your proudest moments while you were working as an anchor and reporter? That's a great question. <laughs> By the way, this is so odd to be interviewed. Um, <laughs> Turning the tables. I know, it's like the second or third time someone's interviewed me. I will have to say a couple of things. I was nominated for two Emmys in Michigan, which meant a lot to me. In fact, the, the family I mentioned earlier, Terry and Joe and Dennis Johnson, the first was for a story I did with them. Wish I would have won that one. <laughs> the second one was a, a show I actually produced. It wasn't even for my anchoring reporting. It was for it was a nomination for producing a show about um, I think it was our everyday heroes with the American Red Cross. So those were re really big highlights in my career. Just all the people I met. You can't replace the people you meet in this business. Again, you're you're gonna meet the everyday person next door. Um, you're gonna meet important people. Um, you're just going to meet some really cool people who have some really cool stories. And it's just, I've always liked to listen to people and just to hear stories and have people like open up to you. That's, I don't know. I just, you know, you were trusted. People wouldn't talk to you if they didn't trust you. I don't know. I, just, I, I took that as a privilege that people trusted me enough to speak to me. Do you think about going back into TV news? Uh, no. <laughs> well, okay. So I preface that with, um, if someone wanted to give me the morning anchor position Monday through Friday, and I only had to work like four hours a day, totally. Um, but I am not giving up the ability to pick up my son from school or childcare. He goes to childcare for school, but the flexibility that I have now is life-changing. So as a marketing specialist, what exactly are you doing with Bay City? Well, so that's, that's a really cool thing. Um, so obviously, as I mentioned earlier, I've wanted to do this since fifth grade. Like I, I that's my only goal in life was to be a TV news anchor lady, as I said, and, and when I was younger, the, the skills you learn in TV news are extremely transferable. You may not realize it at, at the time you might think you're in a, you know, you're in a peg and like, that's the only thing you can do. And that was a concern when I decided to quit my job very unexpectedly, like, what am I going to do? Like, 
I know how to do like one thing. I can, I can tell stories. Well, you know what? You can tell stories anywhere. Everyone that there's a big push in marketing right now. I don't know a lot about the basics of marketing per se, but I know how to tell stories. And I know that when you connect humans with humans and kind of bring them eye level, that there's going to be a connection there. You can talk all the time about like this policy or this procedure or this job that someone has. But once you would like add a person to it, that's more relatable. And there's always some sort of backstory to how they got there or something. And it's just, it, it's kind of the same thing, finding the story for that particular thing. And I'm doing a lot more than I, I used to do when I started. It was kind of a, I did a lot of social media, which I still do with several pages, but I do videos. Um, right now I'm helping with our first ever citywide career expo. I, I do a little bit of everything, internal and external communications. The bulk of my work is social media, but everybody has a story. Do you find that social media is similar enough to what you were doing in your work with TV that it still gives you some of the perhaps satisfaction that you had doing that job? Yes. I mean, on a different scale, um, one thing that's been very difficult for me is the pacing. In TV news, you're like, go, 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 and don't stop, like ever. <laughs> and here, you might have a few days to do things or a few weeks or what have you, and no one expects you to have it done like right now. I have, I expect myself to have it done right now. So that's been a little different. Like, I mean, I still do a lot of things. Like when I do a cool video, I'm like, oh, I love that. Um, when I learn something new about somebody um, and I get to like figure out a way to like tell that in a Facebook post or in a video, like that gives me the satisfaction, but it's a different kind of satisfaction in different ways. Like before, like a really good story or if I did really good on air or we had a clean show, that's my cat, by the way. Um, sorry. <laughs> a special um, appearance. Yes. Oh, he'll make several. There, there are different things to get excited about or feel satisfied about. There, I don't get to put together the stories like I used to. I did just complete a year in review video, which I did very much like a news story, but it was like 10 minutes long. That was satisfying. That was awesome. It was like all my old skills, putting everything together. So there, it's still, there's still satisfaction. It's just in different things. And I'll never forget the first election um, when I worked at the city of Bay City. It was right before uh, COVID started. And I was getting ready to leave work. And I saw my old coworkers coming into the building because they were going to be there for the election results and what have you. And it had only been a month or something at that point. And I'm like, how's it going? Do you miss it? And I kind of looked at it. I'm like, you know what? I'm going home right now. And you're going to be here until like midnight or after. I said, it's going great. Bye. <laughs> and so it's just stuff like that, that you just didn't know normal people got to do. I also noticed that you do quite a few of your own social media posts. You do a lot of cosmetic tutorials. I have watched them to try to learn a few things. Uh, I might be hopeless, but are those fun for you to make too? Yes. So I actually started uh, in the whole makeup industry before I left TV news. And I had to be very careful because when you're a journalist, you have to be impartial and what have you. So I had to be careful not to, you know, like, promote it in any way, shape or form connected to my, my career. Um, so now that I'm not on air in that way, um, I get to do, I'm in a little more free with my, my makeup tutorials. And that gives me so much joy. I am still able to use my TV skills, which I still use at my, my full-time job, but I get to use those skills that I learned all the way back in fifth grade with something else that I love. Um, I love makeup. I love doing it. I love teaching people. I've always enjoyed teaching people how to do things. When I was a graduate student at CMU, I was one of the graduate assistants. So I was helping with New Central 34. And I always, I, I loved that. I loved 
ABC 12 when we had interns come in, the like really motivated ones that like did a lot of things. Like I love that. So to still be able to talk, do videos and teach people something that can make their life a little bit easier has been a great way to continue some of the things that I'm not able to do in other aspects of my life. So what advice would you have for students today who might be looking at going into media in some way, shape or form, or who are current students in BCA who are looking at a career of some sort? What are some of the skills that they need, regardless of what they're going into? When I was in college, I made a pointed effort to learn a lot of things because I knew that while... I wanted to be a reporter and anchor, like you need to be a well-rounded person. I think that could probably be said in any, any field, but I didn't spend enough time on other things. Like I don't think I ever took like the management class <laughs> and there are some other classes that I didn't take that I wish I would have because I had tunnel vision. My goal is to be a TV news anchor reporter. And I was, but I never expected this career change in my late thirties, early forties. I can't remember how old I was. Must have been 40. I don't know. I wish I would have spent a little more time on some other classes, like different areas to learn a little more because you never know when you're going to need it. And you might be convinced that you are going to move to LA and work on movies. Maybe you will. Maybe you're going to have to do some other jobs to pay the bills before then. And having a little bit of knowledge about a lot of things, I think is always a good thing. So really take, take, take chances to do everything. And if you don't think you're going to use it, just, just do it. <laughs> when you were working in TV, how important was the way you looked or your appearance? How much of that factored into your work and the way you were sort of uh, presented to the public? So there, when you're on TV, obviously people welcome you into their home every day. You're on their TV screen. And in fact, right now I'm, I can see the news on right now and I'm watching, but people feel like they know you. They think they know intimate things about you. When I was first starting my career, obviously Facebook wasn't a thing. Um, but as that became part of our lives, um, you know, there were things that I would share on Facebook that, you know, we didn't have time to share on TV. Like when I was pregnant, um, there was a lot of things that went through my personal life that people knew about me because I shared them on Facebook. And you can kind of choose what to, to share, what not to share. But I'd have to say like people, people always had opinions. For the most part, people were, were very kind to me. There's there a select few that not so much, but I was always careful and I still am about what I looked like when I went to the grocery store, how I presented myself, how I was acting when I was at a meeting, like, you know, now I might be like, like, you know, crazy faces, but then I, I was very professional and just didn't make faces and what have you, but people are always watching and for better or worse, uh, there are people that would stop you in the grocery store and they truly meant well, but they would say things like, oh, you look so much smaller in person or, oh, I didn't know you were that short or, oh, it's like you put on a little weight. And I always just smiled and said, thank you for watching. Um, Cause in their mind, they were being kind and they were excited to meet you. So yeah, there was definitely a different world in that, you know, you get looks at stores and you know what they're thinking. They're like, oh, is that her? <laughs> and in fact, a couple of weeks ago at one of my favorite restaurants in Frankenmuth, they're like, oh, Rebecca Trilch, I recognize your voice. And I'm like, oh gosh, I haven't been on TV in two years. <laughs> Did you ever have any sort of scary encounters with people that like to watch you? Not necessarily with people that like to watch. I did have some scary encounters, but they had nothing to do with people that wa uh, watched me. They were just 
I was in a bad situation in a reporting situation. <laughs> but no, I just sometimes people, you know, they like want to like hug you and touch you and whatever. It's like because you're you're still a person, but they think that like you're something else. But I, I was never really scared that way. There were people at the station though that did have some people that um, were not allowed to come to the station and, and things like that. And there were definitely some weird phone calls and things that I fielded about other people. People just I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> it was di- a different world. But again, for the most part, people were very kind to me, um, except for the lady that didn't like my eyebrows. <laughs> anyway, I liked my eyebrows. She didn't need to. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, do you think social media has made media figures more accessible to the public in some ways? And maybe they have more of that, uh, what we tend to call parasocial interaction or relationship that they think yeah. they know you when they just know yeah. who you are on air? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. When I, again, when I started in TV news, Facebook was not a thing. Social media was not a thing. Um, heck, we barely had email when I was an undergrad. So uh, that all added it. Whereas, you know, my predecessors, maybe only ran people at the grocery store, like I saw them online. So yeah, and then some people find power in social media that if something they would not say to you in person that they now say, on the keyboard, you know, so that definitely changed the dynamic of how people interacted with you. But I still see some of my colleagues posts about some of the things people say, and it's, it is interesting. So you have to be prepared for that. You have to have thick skin. You can't let that kind of stuff bother you. It's, it's a reality and it'd be nice if it didn't happen, but it is something you need to think about and be prepared for and, and have some thick skin. How much autonomy did you have in choosing the stories you were going to report on? Uh, <laughs> well, like I said, I like to be puppies and kittens reporter, um, but that was not a reality, especially when there were short staffing situations. Every morning there's a morning meeting and I could come to the table with a story that I absolutely loved and I could tell you how I was going to tell it, but perhaps the producers or news director were like, no, nah, we need a hard news story today. So there were some, I'd say like 50-50. I mean, I didn't always come to the story with the puppies and kittens story, but uh I'd say 50-50, but if there's one I was really passionate about, there's a, there was, you, had, you could find a way to tell the story. How much pressure was there to get ratings, to get people watching? You know, it's something that's always talked about in TV newsrooms. It's always there. There's always like, okay, what's your next sweep story? You know, I, I don't know. I just never... <laughs> I I never concerned myself with that. That sounds odd, but I truly never concerned myself with ratings. I concerned myself with doing a good job every day. And if that helped the ratings, then great. If it didn't, well then, sorry. (laughs) Um, But there was a lot of pressure. There was a lot of big stories people had to do, but I wasn't necessarily that person. I wasn't the investigative reporter. Not that we necessarily had one at all times, but it was definitely there. But I think it was more from a management standpoint versus us. We just wanted to do our jobs. And yeah. I guess it's the best way to say that. Rebecca, thanks so much for taking time out of your schedule to be with us today. You are very welcome anytime. That's another episode of Depth of Field, a production of the School of Broadcast and Cinematic Arts at Central Michigan University. Thanks to my engineer, Michael Pawarski, and my producer, Allison Biss. I'm Patty Williamson. Thanks for joining us.